So good evening, friends. <clears throat> I, I'm just going to move these glasses right here. Um, I don't have any props tonight. My only prop is a Kleenex <laughs> because I'm so sad. I was thinking, like, I remember when Zane had short hair. <laughs> like, I've been around that long. <laughs> and I remember so many of you wondering if you were going to show up to challenge you would say as freshmen you were coming, but were you really coming? <laughs> and now you're up here leading worship and you're in the crowd and this is your last challenge as a student. And it, my heart, my little bitty achy breaky heart is hurting that this is it. But thankfully we live in a metropolitan area where there are jobs here. So you don't have to leave. I mean, you do have to leave this campus, but you can, or you could get a job on campus. You could get your master's, PhD, post. Doc, there's all sorts of things you could do and stay around, so I won't need my tissue. But on, um, we're finishing up the series tonight. Obviously, it's the last challenge. If you show up next week, I will not be. I don't know who will be here. Maybe I'll just be crying outside the door that no one's here. Um, so this is it. So we're talking about finishing well and finishing strong tonight. Um, I got home from campus on Monday, and my roommate had been working from home. And she was, we got, kind of got caught up, and then she was watching this program on Hulu called Chicago PD. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this show. It's kind of too intense for me, I'll just be perfectly honest. But I didn't want to do anything but just lie on the couch. And so she was like, did you mind just watching it? I was like, that's fine. And it already started. It's not like one of those shows where you can't catch up. It's pretty self-explanatory. It's a crime show in Chicago. So obviously people are getting, nobody died but people were getting hurt. But it was really intense, and I was asking her, it got so intense that I said, will you please look up and see if there is a part two to this episode, because I don't want to watch it. Like, I only want to know the ending. I'll just come back, because it just prolonged this intensity of the show. And she had the subtitles on for some reason, which was also odd, and so it would tell you, like, melancholy music playing, or ominous music. And I realized that that was part of the intensity of the show that was... I was getting really riled up on the inside about was the music. Like if you, there was no music playing, people walking down the street is not scary, but it's the music that ups the intensity, right? And anything you watch, all you screenwriters and filmmakers know this. You're like, this isn't rocket science, Aaron. We've known this for a long time. But I began um, me thinking about just our life and what if there were soundtracks to our days? Like what if? As you're walking through your day, you know, sometimes it's like La La Land music. And you're like, today's going to be a great day. Um, or sometimes it's like ominous music and you realize, okay, I'm not sure what today's going to hold. There's some big decisions waiting here. Um, but that's not how life works, is it? There's no music. The decisions we make each and every day, we don't know what hangs in the balance of those decisions. So we make decisions and there is a lot on the line. And at the time, we may or may not realize all that is on the line in those decisions. So we're going to look at two men to tonight who may have wished that their life had a soundtrack because they made decisions that ultimately changed the direction and their destination, just like you and I do each and every day. But these two men, they had the same training from the same man. They had a lot of the same friends. Yet their decisions eventually separated them their directions, and their destinations. So the one thing that I would love for you to remember tonight is decisions, not desire, that determine destination. 
Let's say it with me. Repeat after me. Decisions, not desire, that determine destination. So let's pray, and then we're going to dive into this passage in Colossians, wrapping up our series, The Resurrected Life. Father, we welcome you in this place. We thank you for the students that have gathered here. We thank you for the legacy of those who are leaving us and their investment and those that are still remaining here after. And so we just ask that you would speak mightily through your word, that we would be men and women who would say yes to you again and again and make decisions that honor you so that um, our destinations really get us where we want to a place that honors you and glorifies you. In your name we pray, amen. So we're going to read a portion of this letter that probably you have read, but you've skipped over. You're like, who are these people anyway? I can't say their names. This is just the fluff at the end of the letter, right? Well, we're going to talk about two of these men that you've probably read, but just have never paid much attention to their lives. So Colossians 4, 10 through 14 is what we're going to look at tonight. This is Paul writing from, remember he's in, uh, under house arrest in Rome, and this is what he says. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. You're like, Aaron, that is the most random passage ever. So glad you chose that for my last challenge ever. Um, but what you see here in this passage is that Paul had friends, that he was a human being like you and I, and that he gave his life to training men. That in Romans 16, he actually mentions 33 people. At the end of Colossians, which is longer than what I read actually, he mentions eight friends. So Paul understood and really took to heart Solomon's wise words in Proverbs that we have talked about in this very room multiple times. Proverbs 13, 20 says, Walk with wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. So Paul realized that and wanted to gather around wise men together, knowing that the early church needed wise leaders. And so they needed to be around each other, learning from each other, getting the training they needed in order for the church to move forward. Solomon also wrote this, Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Paul realized that these men needed sharpening, they needed each other, they needed to have friction in their lives in order to develop and become the kind of leaders that they needed to be. So the two men that we're going to look at tonight had been trained by Paul. They really had hearts to follow God and they knew and understood the gospel. And with their lives, both men proved it's your decisions, not your desire, that determine your destination. It's your decisions, not your desire, that determine your destination. So the first guy we're going to look at tonight, his name is Mark, and he had a really interesting life. Um, one of my favorite memories from seminary actually takes place in this first little bit we're going to look at. I have a, for those of you who don't know me, I have 
quite the junior high boy sense of humor. So when my New Testament professor was like, this is the first incident of streaking in the New Testament, I was like, what are you talking about? So this is Mark as a young man. This is what happened to Mark. And he actually wrote this about himself, which I think is even more fascinating. So Mark was a young man. He was actually in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, when Jesus was arrested. And this is what happened in Mark 14, verses 51 through 52. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. <laughs> this gets me every time. <laughs> when they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Like, I think if I was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write, I'd be like, please don't. <laughs> I should not include this about myself. This has like, got to be the, like, the most humiliating part of his life. But that is in Scripture, friends. You should add that to your Scripture memory packet. <laughs> Like, review this with me. That was young man Mark, who we're looking at tonight. That was his humble beginnings. Mark is kind of confusing because he goes by the name Mark. Sometimes his friends call him John, and sometimes they call him John Mark. So I'm going to try to remember to call him John Mark. He is the same person he's just referred to by different names. It's like a nickname kind of thing. So John Mark is Mark. He's also John. I'll try to, but that's, we're only talking about one John Mark tonight. That man who did that as a young man. But a little bit about Mark's family. His mom's name was Mary. It was a different Mary than the mother of Jesus. He came from some money. He had some considerable means. We know this because of an incident in Acts with Peter, that his home actually had at least one servant girl and was large enough that it could hold a gathering of people who were gathered there to pray. Some of you may be familiar with the New Testament. And Peter was one of the leaders of the early church and he aggravated the wrong people, and he was in prison. He knew he was going to die the next day. He's chained between two guards, and an angel appeared to him. And his shackles were released, and the angel led him out of that prison. And it is documented in Acts 12, verses 12 and 13. says, when this had dawned on him, being Peter, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl, or servant named Rhoda, came and answered the door. So just the very fact that Peter, who'd been in prison, knew where to find the praying church shows us that this house had some prominence with Christians in Jerusalem at the time. So that's a pretty cool story that Peter would just show up, and they're like, we were just praying for you. And he's like, I'm here. I don't know if some of you guys remember the story that Rhoda just shuts the door in his face. She doesn't think that it's really him, but it was him. So it's pretty cool. So those are kind of Mark's upbringing, his, a little bit about him. So let's jump back to that passage I read in Colossians. So this is what Paul wrote about him as he's writing the end of his letter um, to the church at Colossae. He says this about John Mark. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. So we learn another thing. Barnabas was his cousin. Barnabas was also one of the key leaders of the early church. So, But this sentence in parentheses may just seem a little odd. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Like, What does that mean? I'm glad you asked. So we're going to rewind the story a little bit. So when Jesus had died on the cross and rose again, and he had ascended to the Father, the Holy Spirit came, Pentecost happened, people were coming to know Jesus in huge numbers. It was an exciting time for the early church. And God made it really clear that Paul and Barnabas were to be sent out and to go and to share the gospel with people who had never heard about it. The church at Antioch was like, 
let's do it. So they sent them out and they started traveling. So in Acts 13.5, we see this. When they arrived in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John, John Mark, was with them as their helper. So we see that Paul was taking people along. Wherever he went, he took men that he could train, that he could invest in, that he could disciple, so that they would be raised up to make more disciples and that the gospel would just continue to spread. But if you just fast forward eight verses in Acts 13, 13, this is what was written. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. John left them to return to Jerusalem. Well, we don't know why John Mark left them. John Mark doesn't explain why he left. Barnabas doesn't explain why he left. Paul doesn't explain why he left. We don't really know. A lot of research people so much smarter than me think that as you map out the course that they were taking, they were getting ready to encounter like more of a dangerous part of the journey. The mountains they were about to cross were known to be full of bandits and robbers, and it was going to essentially cost them their lives. They didn't know what was going to happen. So at that point, John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So we don't know why, but Mark bailed out. <clears throat> and that just didn't sit right with Paul. So fast forward a little bit, and Paul and Barnabas have come back from their first missionary journey. They're going out again. And Barnabas says, hey, let's take John Mark. Well, this is what Paul thinks about that. In Acts 15, 36 through 40, it says, Sometime later, Paul and Barnabas, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. So Barnabas says to, Park, to, to Paul, let's take Mark. And Paul's like, are you kidding me? Do you remember what happened in Pamphylia? Might I remind you that he ran home to mom in Jerusalem? I don't want to risk it again, buddy. He's not worth the risk. And Paul and Barnabas had such a disagreement over this that they didn't travel together. Barnabas took John Mark and Paul took Silas and they parted company. And can you imagine being Mark and realizing that you were the point of that contention? That could not have felt well at the time. But something happened in John Mark's life between the day when Paul refused to take him on that second missionary journey. He's not going with us. In the letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians, something happened in John Mark's life. Isn't it encouraging? It's so encouraging to me. I hope it's encouraging to you that God can use people who are fearful, who fail, who have regrets, who know shame, who make bad decisions. That what Paul says about him in Colossians 4 as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, you have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. That's very different than I'm not traveling with him again. And you know why those people wouldn't receive him or welcome him? It's because he had the reputation for being a failure. That's what he was known for. But Paul is correcting that at the end of Colossians and saying, no, no, he's not that way anymore. He is a reformed man. He has changed. 
He's no longer that man who ran home when things got tough. He's different. Accept him. Welcome him. I command you. I urge you. Spread the word to the churches around. He is a different man than when he left. That was like 11 or 12 years earlier. So much had changed in his life. And kind of around the same time that Paul's writing to the Colossians, he's writing this to a friend named Philemon who also lives in Colossae. He writes this in Philemon 23 and 24. He says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. That that is how John Mark was described by Paul. My fellow worker, not a failure, not a reject, not a guy I can't travel with anymore, but my fellow worker. He's in it with me. We're about the same things. We're advancing the gospels. We're together in this fight. That that was what John Mark was to Paul, his fellow worker. You think, well, what turned him around? What changed? We don't really know for sure. A lot of research has been done. It seems like what is likely is that Peter connected with John Mark. Peter, who also knew shame and regret and remorse after denying Jesus three times. Peter, who could identify with that pretty easily, said, hey, Mark, it's not over. The story is not finished just yet. Because this is what Peter writes about John Mark in 1 Peter 5.13. He says, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. And so does my son, Mark. We know that, that Peter wasn't Mark's dad. We, we know that. But what affection that Peter had for John Mark. He said, he's my son in the faith. I love him as if he was my own. Peter, who knew what it was like to disappoint Jesus, who failed to identify with Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times, would be a great person to learn from and how to get back into the game, to make different decisions, which would lead to a very different future. So we do know that John Mark made decisions. He made decisions to be reconciled to Paul because obviously he's with Paul when Paul is under house arrest in Rome. They're together again that John Mark got further training that he need, that he was willing to pay the, the price to get the spiritual training, that the spiritual growth that he needed. So much so that at the end of Paul's life, because Paul goes back to Rome and he's not under house arrest this time. He's under way, way, way worse arrest. And he knows that he's not getting out of there alive. At the end of his life, when he knows there's not much time left. This is what he does. He writes to Timothy. Timothy was like Paul's son in the faith. Like Peter felt that way about John Mark. That's how Paul felt about Timothy. He says, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4, 11, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me and my ministry. Timothy, I want you to come. You are so dear to my heart. The one other person I want you to bring at the end of my life is John Mark, because he is useful to me. Wow, what a compliment. What a changed man. The decisions that he made in his life changed him. The decisions, not his desire, that determined his destination. Bring him with me. He is profitable to me. And the crazy thing is, is that Mark's story doesn't end when Paul died. 
that God tapped Mark on the shoulder and handpicked him to one of four men who would write the account of his son, Jesus. That Mark's gospel, many of you in this room have read. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Mark wrote that. What hope does that give for you and I? That there's opportunities for second chances. That we aren't defined by our regrets and our failures and by the things that we just wish we could erase from our past. That that doesn't define us. We can have different futures, but we have to, to decide to have a different future. It's the decisions we make that change that. That it's not too late to finish well. And what we know about Mark, thanks to early church historians, is that he ultimately went to Egypt and shared the gospel there. How cool is that? So we know Mark not necessarily as, okay, Mark, well, you had this epic failure and you didn't recover from that. No, we know that Paul considered Mark a fellow worker, that God used him to record the gospel of Jesus and that he was used to share the gospel in Egypt. Wow, what a story. Those decisions he made along the way shaped a very different future for Mark. Juxtaposed with the man we're going to look at next, his name is Demas. We don't know nearly as much about Demas, not at all. We do know that he was a close friend of Paul. They traveled a great deal together. He'd received training from Paul. He'd been under Paul's teaching for many years. In Colossians 4.14, the passage I read at the very beginning, this is what Paul says, Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. We also know from that passage that I read in Philemon um, that Paul also describes Demas in this way. In Philemon 23 and 24, um, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. So we know that that same word fellow workers that was used to describe John Mark was also used to describe Demas as well. So they were kind of on the same page in Paul's life. Like Paul really considered them kindred spirits, friends that were after the same thing. But fast forward to the end of Paul's life. He's in that Roman prison knowing he's about to die. And he's writing to Timothy in that same passage when he's asking Timothy, Timothy, bring John Mark. This is what he says to Timothy. In Timothy, or 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 10, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. He'd worked beside Paul. He'd ministered to Paul. 2 Corinthians 11 talks about all the things that Paul had endured. Shipwreck, stoned, imprisonment, homeless, hungry, beaten. Paul had been through it. Maybe the suffering just became too much for Demas. We don't know. He'd been around Paul for both prison stints. He'd been in it. He'd seen the worst of the worst. And he decided along the way with the decisions that he made to love the world and to desert Paul. So at the end of Paul's life, not only was he alone physically, but I think the pain of having invested in Demas and knowing that Demas walked away from the truth of the gospel was far more painful than him not being there physically. He loved the world. He loved the things the world promised, the pleasures, the comfort, the ease, the gratification. And it turned him away from not just serving with Paul, but serving Christ. 
There's a strongly worded passage in 1 John 2.15 that I pray we take to heart tonight. It says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. The world and its allure are strong. The magnetism is almost irresistible at times. It seems to offer much and at the time to be the answer to everything that we need and yet leaves us empty and depleted like what we talked about last week. That when we devote ourselves to ourselves, we deplete ourselves, right? And Jesus explained this very thing in Matthew. You don't have the capacity, no one does, to love two things equally. One thing will always win out. You are not an exemption to the rule. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says this, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's not possible. It's not possible. Demas proved that with his life. What a tremendous discouragement, I'm sure that was, to Paul. Because you look at Mark and you think, partway through, I'm sure Paul's like, he's not going to make it. But Mark, through his decisions, proved at the end he did make it. He had a very different ending. But Demas started out really strong. But in the end, he did not make it. And the warning for all of us, myself included, is that there are no guarantees that any of us will finish strong to the end. That there's a pool in each of our hearts, just like in the heart of Demas, that we are not immune to, not at all. That it's important to have godly friends. And I pray that you will intersect your heart and your life with friends that are wise, that will sharpen you, and that will make you more like Jesus. It's important to get training. It's important to be here on Thursday nights, be in Freshman Connection, be in Life Group, hearing truth and putting it into practice in your life. But it's the decisions you're going to make day in and day out that are going to determine your destination. And those decisions, that soundtrack isn't going to be ominously playing. You will not know what hangs in the balance. But when you choose Jesus, you're one step closer to him and one step farther away from the world. Because when you say yes to something, you say no to something else. And we each have to decide for our own. You know, each year I get to work with freshmen and I want to help them decide. And I don't get to do that. I get to speak truth to them. I get to love them. I pray for them. But ultimately, the ball's in their court. They have to decide. On Sunday night, several of us gathered at Neil and Melinda's house to to celebrate what God has done this year in Christian Challenge and with the Freshman Connection leaders and the Life Group leaders. And so after dinner and I had a plate of dessert, I saw Diego and Nikki sitting together. And I'm um, sorry, I'm, I get emotional when I'm tired. And I love Diego so much. Um, so Diego, and they were reminiscing about their freshman year, and I was like, oh, I was there for this freshman year. So uh, I was like, oh, this is so fun. Do you remember when this? And we were just going back and forth. And Diego told me this story, and I had never heard this story before, um, that his freshman year, he was actually going to lacrosse on some Wednesday nights and Freshman Connection other Wednesday nights. And then there was this one Wednesday night when he was all decked out, ready for lacrosse, and he was at Cromwell Field. And he just thought in that moment, like, I could go to lacrosse. These are cool guys. Afterwards, you know, they party, they live it up. Or I could go to Freshman Connection. And he decided in that moment to go back to his room and to change clothes and to go to Freshman Connection. 
And in that moment, he had no idea what hung in the balance. No idea. So he says he walks, every time he walks by Cromwell Field, he thinks of that moment. That moment when there was no ominous music playing, no melancholy music, no la-la land music. It was just him thinking, huh, Wednesday nights, I could go hang out with Nick, pretty much the only other freshman guy, and Jeremy. Um, or I could play with these really cool lacrosse guys. And he chose to come to Freshman Connection, and there's some freshmen here tonight whose lives are very different because Diego decided at Cromwell Field to say yes to Jesus. And I think the heart of God just burst at the seams when Diego said yes to Jesus. And I think someday, this is what I picture, Diego will bring his little Dieguitos <laughs> to, to campus. And he's going to walk him by Cromwell Field, and he's going to say, this just looks like an ordinary field. But I made a decision here, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, that I was going to say yes to Jesus. And you have a very different dad because I said yes to Jesus. But it's going to take a lot of little decisions along the way for Diego to keep walking with Jesus. Because you don't just make one decision to say no to the world. Day by day by day, you have to decide that. And then on Monday, Sarah and I were talking, and she was talking about her sophomore year. And it's kind of been an evaluatory week, I would say. Um, and she was reminding me that she's a part of this group called Helene's. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's kind of a big deal on campus. And her sophomore year, she was running unopposed to be the president of that organization, which looks really good on a resume. And all of you guys know how much USC pushes the resume builders. And she began to realize the time commitment that that would be and the cost that that would be. And she decided to remove her name from something that she was for sure going to get and to say yes to getting more training and getting more help and walking with Jesus. And that was not an easy decision to make. But there's some other freshman girls here tonight whose lives have been impacted, who would not have been impacted the same way had Sarah said yes to something else and no to growing in her walk with Jesus. And those are just two examples there's lots of you in this room that I could use as examples. There's examples from my own life where I didn't say yes to Jesus and could give you many, many stories of those as well. But I think in those moments, we don't see what hangs in the balance. We don't realize that there's so much more at stake than just, oh, it's just a lacrosse. It's a little net with a ball and you just run down the field. No, it's a lot more than that. It's a lot more than that. Your decisions... It's not your desire. As we say in Oklahoma, your want to ain't going to get you very far. <laughs> that, that want to don't get you far. The desire to walk with Jesus doesn't get you far. But it's the day by day, yes, Jesus decision that will ultimately determine where you end up. So some of you may be sitting in this room and feel a lot like John Mark. Like, wow, I've blown it. I have got regrets bigger than just bailing on some friends and heading back to my mom's house. Um, I could write a book on regret. But for those of you who are feeling that way, know that there are some Peters in this room tonight that would love to take you under their wing and remind you that God loves to give second chances and that the story is not over yet and that you have an opportunity to have a very different future. It's not too late to say yes to Jesus again and again. And some of you may be here and you may feel like Demas, that you have, the world and its pull is just too strong. 
I feel like when we sing that song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the Lord I love. That is me. Hold up my hands and identify with that every single time. I am a distracted person. It's so easy for me just to want to, to follow the ways of the world, the ease and the comfort that it promises. But I would bet every dollar I own that Demas died empty and unfulfilled. I have no doubt about that. Like we talked about last week, when you devote yourself to yourself, you deplete yourself. That that is a dead-end street. And so it's not too late to say no to some things of the world and to say yes to Jesus. It's not too late for that. Because as Neil has reminded me many, many times, it's how you end. That's how you're remembered. It's how you end. That's how you're remembered. What do we know about Demas? He deserted Paul. He loved the world. That's what we know about Demas. For those of you who brought your Bibles tonight, you can open it up three quarters of the way through and there's the Gospel of Mark. We can read that story as well. So my urge and my challenge to you is to finish well and to determine to make decisions in a way that are really going to change your destination. So let me close in prayer and then I have one more thing I'd like to do before we welcome up the worship team. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are a God who redeems and that you are a God who reconciles, that you see potential in us when we have lost hope in ourselves and maybe we've even lost hope in the people around us. So thank you for the examples of these men, for the decisions that they made. Father, may we, by the power of your spirit, say yes to you again and again and again so that our destination is ultimately with you forever. May we give our lives to knowing you, becoming like you, and making you known so that your glory may fill this place. We love you. In your name I pray. Amen. There's um, some people that have worked really hard this year and have said no to other things and said yes to serving here at Challenge. And so I just wanted to take a few minutes and to thank them. So every week on social media, you see really cool posts from Sarah and Ifalola, and they work very hard at creatively planning things in advance and brainstorming, and let's just thank them. Sarah and Ifalola, thank you so much. There's also a team led by Dorothy, I don't know where you are, Dorothy. Dorothy's right here. Um, who get here early and greet, and they miss some of the songs at Challenge that we get to sing in here because they're out there welcoming us and making people feel at home and comfortable being here. So if you've been a greeter this year, and Dorothy, would you stand so we could say thank you to you? Stand up, greeters. I know there were more greeters than that. Thank you so much. And these microphones represent beautiful voices and instruments that lead us before the throne of grace, praising our God and Father. And so Victor and the worship team, if you've served on worship team this year, 2017, 2018, we want to thank you. Please stand. Thank you. Yeah. Um, also, there's a team of guys. They are the backbone of Thursday night. This would not be possible without these sacrificial men who give up their afternoon 
and stay late to set everything up. This room does not look like this if you arrive at 5.30. So I'm going to list their names, and I would like you to stand up, and then we will thank them. Diego leads that team. Thank you, Diego. <laughs> David Kim. David Kim. Willie. Stand up, Willie, David Kim, Patrick Mooney, Jonathan, if there's anybody I'm forgetting. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Then we have Nick and Paul who work so hard at making the sound just right. Thank you, guys. And Danielle and Rebecca, thank you for running the slides. I know it is not easy. We are so grateful for you. And we wanted to thank, lastly, Paulina and Jenna, first fivers, and all the editing and the time you guys give. So thank you. We are so grateful. None of this would happen without your service. And so thanks so much for the way you um, give yourself and serve others. So now let me welcome up the worship team. Yeah.